things happening. All right. Well, and you know, I was kind of expecting to hear some music on the way in. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, we just got the spinny wheel. You know, the worst, worst one of them all. You know, because it's like no error whatsoever, right? The wheel just spins and spins and spins. It's like nobody knows what's going on. But uh, <laughs> absolutely, by the system. <laughs> absolutely. So anyway, we don't need music to have a good time. Welcome to PlantTherapy.live. Uh, we are back with you again for another week. My name is Ray. And I'm Pache. And uh, we'll get some more great conversation this week. Pache, how are you doing this week? Not too bad, brother. Not too bad. How are you? Uh, not too bad. What have you been uh, up to this week? Uh, let's see. I've been uh, researching some uh, some lights. Um, going down some rabbit holes down YouTube, which uh, we'll talk about towards the end of the uh, the segment tonight. Um, the old YouTube but, rabbit um, hole. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes there's uh, nothing better than to unplug from all so social media and just. Uh, if, if you can't get out into nature, uh, which I always highly recommend, um, it's, then it's always fun to go down some YouTube rabbit holes. All right. Well, yeah, we'll uh, have a little bit of time for that in j- just a, a while. Um, you got some new <coughs> new pots this week. Did some transplanting. That's right. I uh, I ordered uh, some pots off of, uh, off of Amazon. And they came in one gallon pots, and so my uh, my seedlings have gone from solo cup to one gallons, and uh, they're going to stay there probably for the next month before they went to some five gallons. But uh, yeah, so I was doing some transplanting, and I am experimenting with some uh, with a new form of pest control. Um, this is my first time uh, starting a grow in the summer, and it's different than doing it in the fall or the winter. Uh, I'm dealing with a lot more uh, aphids, um, but I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't tell you this. We didn't have a chance to speak, but um, I, I used that diatomaceous earth, and man, I'm seeing some results. Well, and that's going to be a great topic of conversation. Um, myself personally, I've never used it, um, but I've been able to, you know, stay away from uh, aphids for the most part just a couple of different times uh, had to go to war with them, but that's very interesting to know. So uh, we'll keep our eye on that. And as we move through the different topics here, we're going to add that one to the list because I'm sure myself included, you know, we're going to want to hear a, a little bit more about that experience. Um, how's the curing and the storage going from. Oh, it's going fantastic. Um, everything has been cured for well over 30 days now. Sitting in glass jars uh, in the cold, dark spot. Um, perfect humidity, uh, humidity control packs. I've got a hygrometer in each jar. Um, I'm very picky about my control. And uh, change the. Uh, I'm assuming that the <coughs> the smells are cha- changing as you check on them and. It's definitely um, bringing out a more sweet smell. Uh, that's for sure. Um, it's funny when you first jar them, they might still smell a little uh, like hay, but the you know, the sweet smells coming. And then uh, after 30 days, it's just like, wow, what a difference. Mm-hmm. And that smell continues to change uh, week after week. Yeah, I'm going to keep asking because I'm curious, you know, take me on the ride with you. I'm sure a lot of people uh, appreciate uh, getting the update as well. I had a pretty pretty standard week myself. Uh, got a chance to to do my weekly care. So last week I treated a lot of the uh, a lot of the plants with pH eight point nine or nine water in that uh, fight against powdery mildew, and it oh. that seemed to work. I mean, didn't didn't have too many this week, 
Um, just picked a couple of leaves off, but for the most part, uh, it seemed to work quite well. So going to keep our eye on that too. Well, when are you looking at harvesting? Probably not until mid-September, I think, is okay. you know, knock on wood, as long as things, uh, you know, keep going. So it's been tricky for me to main- to maintain a pretty steady, steady pH, uh, being in DWC, and it's not like a recirculated system, So, and it's all, each bucket is manually, you know, um, adjusted. So that's been a challenge. Um, and I can't wait till we do that segment because it's honestly, um, I know nothing about it and what I learn, I'm, I'm learning from you. So I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more. And, but right now I'm, I'm very happy to stay in just the, the soil medium right, right now and get to know that, uh, and build that sort of expertise up. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's exactly what you should be doing. Right. Um, these kinds of systems can be very volatile. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you a quick story. So um, each, each uh, pot that I have uh, has an air stone in it. Um, okay. But I've put two air stones from two different pumps in each pot. Just in the event that one of the pumps went down, I would still have one separate pump pumping air in. So you built in some redundancy. Exactly. Right. So, okay. so cool. I like right? it. Cause I'm just thinking to myself, a lot of these pumps are from China. I don't know what the quality controls like, right? These things sometimes go for two months and they break. Sometimes they go for seven years and you, and you can't believe it. So, uh, I, I go down one day to have a look and one of the main manifolds off one of the pumps had heated up and slipped off. And it was at that point there when I realized how great of a, you know, importance that was because I've already had it save me once. Um, so, you know, very fine points we'll get into later on. I just wanted to give you an update, you know, for my week, cause that's where I'm at and I'm just gathering data as I go along, right. Uh, measuring the, uh, the humidity and the temperatures and, and pop it in, a little more frequently to get pH readings. I have reservoirs um, that generally maintain the the same pH, um, but I have to manually fill each bucket. Um, Looking at potentially going to a recirculating system and use those already existing reservoirs, you know, to my advantage, or, (laughs) you know, depending on what the data says, because I have to deal with a, a certain equation, uh, you know, I may go back to a soilless mixture medium, such as what you're growing in there, Pache, um, but with an automated watering system that I can control remotely. So that's something else that I'm exploring. And that's something else that I'll share, you know, a, as we get through the weeks here. But, you know, today we did have some certain things that we wanted to talk about, right? Lights was one of them. Um, Intense. Yeah. I mean, the whole goal here is to, you know, uh, help people that are potentially looking to get into into growing or people that already have the equipment and are, are growing and potentially may need, you know, us to fill in some blanks or pro- provide some additional information, right? Um, so, you know, Pache, you've recently been purchasing things on the market and you've been doing the Amazon thing, uh, myself included, right? So we just kind of wanted to share some of the things that have worked for us and some of the things that haven't, uh, and together we can kind of grow, right? As we, uh, as we move forward. So, um, you know, you're, you were growing in, pretty much a temperature controlled environment, right, Pache? 100%. Um, I control the sun, the wind, the earth, <laughs> uh, the rain. Uh, I control everything in my five by five. world. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying where, where you set up your tent. Um, it, it, it's in a room that is controlled, has temperature control. That also is controlled. Yes. So I have my tent in my garage. So it's just, um, another environment that I control. Um, so I control what the air that's going in and out of, uh, of my tents. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
a, a big portion of the environment is the light. Uh, and you've got a pretty nice one there. Um, but you know, you don't need heat, uh, in your tent, right? You, you're not struggling with any type of, uh, temperature, uh, no, not at all. There, there are a few times in the uh, dead of winter that I'll turn my the temp my uh, the garage heater on, mm-hmm. um, and usually that's only at night. Yeah. So, but I'm thinking about uh, switching my cycle so the light is on during the night where where it's coldest, and so that might uh, I might not need to run the heat or run it as high. Yeah. Now, in my case, I was dealing with a, you know, dark, relatively damp basement, right? Um, so I went I went, went with an HBS light because I, I, I needed the heat from the light um, as part of my equation, right? So um, I wanted to bring that up first be- before we started talking about lights because, uh, you know, we kind of have to have an idea of where we're going to be setting up our equipment first off. Uh, before we decide fully on a light, um, you know, you, you may be in a very warm room, you know, that, that, that gets quite warm. You might have to get an air conditioner, uh, if you have an HPS light or you may, you know, avoid that a hundred percent by just getting a led light in the beginning, right. To minimize, minimize the, uh, amount of heat, but, there are different types of lights, right? Metal halide is uh, one of the older ones that, that used to get used quite a bit for vegetative growth, very, very much anyway. It was, you know, very uh, white light. Uh, it's the same kind of light that's actually in a, in a lighthouse. Um, and they gave off a lot of heat. Um, not too many people I know anymore have, uh, have used them recently. Have you seen them any around, Bajay? The white lights? The metal halide. No, the metal halide. Yeah. I don't know anybody that uses that. Yeah. Everybody I know uh, uses LED, to be honest. Yeah. Or fluorescent. Like, I know people that still use fluorescence. Oh, yeah? yeah. Um, you know, that was a go-to for a long time. Lots of people use them, T5s and T8s. Oh, yeah. Um, I've seen some pretty impressive grows of some guys that were doing them in shipping containers. Uh, on YouTube or one of those with those yeah with those and they had these shipping containers filled with these lights all along the top and all along the sides for flowering for too. flowering too and you know what they did a for given their their circumstances you know, hmm. that they were dealing with they did a really good job I was actually quite impressed it's uh, one that stood out in, in, in my mind um, but then CFLs do. A lot of people use those. I, myself, I use CFLs for quite some time, right? Um, there's a, a couple of different different uh, spectrums, right? The uh, 2700, I think it is, is the one that's the more more amber light or the... One sec, I've got to take a drink. Yeah, I think the 2700 is... I, I... I think that's on in the blue spectrum. Uh, I'm not sure. Red. It's in the uh, it's in the red spectrum. Is it? Yeah. Um, and then the 6500K is like the white, the bright white. Those were okay. those were the two CFL bulbs bulbs that I've used. Um, and they work quite well, but you've you had to keep them, you know, relatively close to the to the top of the plants, right? Because they don't have the, um, you know, the distance, or if you will, that the lumens dissipate very, very quickly over a short distance with CFLs. Um, but they do work, uh, you know, so how far away are your, um, is your HPS away from your canopy? I keep mine probably 20 inches, I guess. in in, in that range, it depends, right? Like I have to adjust it. They get closer sometimes through the stretch when they, first get into flowering um it literally just happened to me okay yeah so they they probably got within 10 or 12 inches of the uh, of the hbs but i have um a very very heavy uh, air exchange system that's turned down you know like it but it still moves a lot of air um okay and i have that outtake is right next to the to the bulb so 
Um, anything, all the heat that's being created by the bulb right now is being sucked out of the out of the tent immediately. But I can customize that later by moving the air outtake to a different location that's not as close to the bulb, right? So just get, gives yeah, that's cool. gives me the ability to uh, to you know customize it to exactly what I need. Um, but yeah, LED, right? Now this is where all the hype is and why not? Because, you know, very, very, very low power consumption. Um, you know, it's a great technology. Technology. It's, uh, you know, not something that's brand new. You know, they've really tested it. Samsung's got a beautiful uh, chip that everybody's using. That's that LM301. And there's minor variations of that as well. But uh, that's what the most successful uh, LED lights are using. Pache, you just got that Spider Farmer SF4000. Absolutely. And I admit, I don't know any better um, because it's the only thing I've ever used. And again, you know, it was my first time growing anything. Um, but I absolutely loved it. Um, hang on a second. I'm going to bring up a, uh, a photo of when... It uh, first arrived here. Okay. So that's what it looked like when I unboxed it. Here's a little bit of a closer look. Nice. So that ended up being, you know, you were doing research and it, and as you're researching, this is kind of where it led you, right? Because a lot of people is, are, are using this equipment right now and are having a lot of success. Um, yeah, you know, well, spider farmers seem to have a, a name uh, for quality. Um, and everything that I saw online was there's basically two types of LEDs, the shitty kind that are super cheap. Yep. And the expensive kind that are really good and weren't totally worth it. And so I was like, okay, well, I, I don't mind spending the money and having it last 50,000 hours. Um, and if it's going to give me high quality, good yielding bud, then I, I think it's going to be worth it. And you, you make a great point there because <clears throat> for a lot of years, people would say, well, you know what? You show me pictures of... Uh, people that grow what I grow under an HPS, you show me, you know, gr them growing it under an LED, and then maybe I'll consider or reconsider. I, you know, I, I've said it myself, um, but we're there, right? And this is just a, te <coughs> a testament to that. And, um, you know, we've made it. And there, there's other lights, too, that aren't as expensive that people are having great rev reviews on, right? The Mars Hydro was another one. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've got uh, a TS-1000 right here. So that was me just opening the box, and they threw in some pretty cool stickers. And, uh, yeah, I I really like the, uh, the light. It, it has something weird that I was not expecting and didn't know um, to ask. <clears throat> so I didn't have it on a timer at first. And um, because my timer was uh, busy somewhere else uh, and I didn't want to order one, I didn't really want to buy one. So I thought, well, uh, I'll just flick it off and on for a few days and then my timer will be freed up and I'll be able to make the switch and then after i think day number two i turned the lights off and i ended up sort of just sticking my nose back in just to, to look at the darkness basically and i could see a little bit of of light escaping from the the uh, diodes and i thought what the hell is is going on here it's not turning off all the way like i clicked the off and it was 99 percent off um, so apparently if it's in a, on a timer, no problem, but there was some light leakage if it wasn't on a timer. So that was unexpected. Yeah. You, you had, uh, sent me a message and let me know right away. And you know, that, that, that was my first thought. 
was, you know, put it on a timer and the timer is going to cut all the power off to the, to the light. And it's going to avoid that problem altogether, which it did in your case. Um, you know, so when you look at the hardware on that light, um, there's a cheaper alternative on Amazon, right? We found that a mm, couple of weeks ago. It, it basically uses the exact same hardware as the Mars Hydro does. Um, it's C-H-V-E-G-L-U-Z, C-H-1000. We'll, we'll have to put links to this stuff. Uh, this is a light that's ninety five ninety nine. And it's a um, Samsung Meanwell driver, uh, infrared, full full spectrum. It's it's made for a two by two, but at that price, you could get two and or four, you know. And it's something that's been uh, working. I'm using it currently in a two by or sorry, in a three by three for vegetative growth, uh, and it's working quite well. Uh, and this one may also have a, a, a step up. Because uh, that one, that's 95, is 100 watts. And they have a 240-watt one uh, for $250. Yeah, I see that there as well. Um, and then, of course, you know, because we are basically talking about the different lights, should anybody be trying to um, get on the market to, to get one soon? Then we have the HPS lights, right? The high pre- hot <laughs> high pressure sodium and they come in 400 watt 600 watt and 1000 watt uh and you can get the electronic ballasts that a lot of them have a super lumens mode or a advanced mode where you can turn it up past 100 percent and get potentially uh 110 but they do give off some heat so if you're dealing with an area that is cool um, or not heat it, then HBS might be the way you want to go when you're first wa- wanting to pick a light. Um, if heat is an issue, then you may want to look at LED. Um, you know, maybe you have the ability to do both as well. It's up to you, but just want to kind of put that on everybody's radar, right? That it can, it can really, um, you know, sometimes increase the cost of uh, of what you need to purchase or decrease the cost depending on how you go right um within hbs you may need to get an air-cooled reflector to pull the warm air out of the tent right away um you know you may not have to so that's something on a case-by-case basis that you'd have to figure out um and then, of course, tents, right? These these things are making everything easy for a lot of people. Put up a tent, right? You can completely control all of the um, the environment inside the tent. They're relatively cheap. You know, before this, it was, you know, framing out a room or a, a, an area w- with uh, poly, you know, setting up poly and a lot of that stuff took time and you, you couldn't take it down very easily once you got it set up. Sometimes keeping it clean and sometimes it involved cutting holes and in walls and stuff like that too for ventilation. Yeah. If you can avoid all that hassle, absolutely. Oh yeah. And you know, that's the way it was for a while. You know, but these back in the old days. <laughs> but these tents be, have become completely mainstream now, right? I've uh, I've purchased two. I got a three by three and a four by four. You've pretty much done the exact same thing, Pache. I have. Um, I started with the five by five. That's all I had, <clears throat> and then uh, I switched to a, a two tent system. So I've got my five by five and a three by three. One is my veg chamber. One's my flower chamber. And I'm now thinking, boy, it'd be nice to have a third tent for drying and propagating and germinating. Um, so uh, I might move, move to a three-zone system. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, uh, having, a, having a couple of tents is quite essential to maximize what you, what you can do, right? Um, you start two plants, grow them in veg in the first one when you've put them into over into the flowering tent you um you know cut a couple of clones from them put them in the back in the veg tent and then you supply yourself over and over and over again um following a system that would allow you to get to potentially get you know close to six harvests per year which can allow you to pull in some pretty uh, pretty big numbers 
and and that's like that's for people that use this recreationally that's awesome but for those uh, folks that use this for medicine um you can now grow your own medicine and harvest it perpetually with well the cost is you know labor and time and effort and uh, nutrients and water and things like that but um man i you know it just it's amazing how self-sufficient you become and how wonderful that feels yeah and you know and i think that's the goal here for for pretty much everybody right um to <clears throat> to become self-sufficient um it is a little bit of an of an investment in the beginning picking out what you're going to get and actually getting it right it can cost sometimes two thousand to three thousand dollar range from what i see if you're if you're going to do a two-plant system um, you know, a lot of people use, uh, LED for one and HPS for the other. Um, so in actuality, you're purchasing two separate lights. Um, one that's going to be on 12 hours a day, a, a day and, and one that's going to be on 18, 18 to 24 hours a day. Um, so, you know, it's been working for us, I, I guess the big thing now, cause all the tents look the same, um, I guess a lot of the time it boils down to the quality of the zipper from what I see, right? Because the people that I see online that are complaining about their tents, usually when they're posting, you know, pictures of where the light leaks are, it's around the zipper. What do you think there, Pache? Um, you know, I have not had the issue of light leaks around the zipper. Um, I've been looking, but I haven't seen anything. Um where I've always been concerned about uh, light leakage is so following your advice, I, I take um, ducting and I put it in. If you can see on the screen here, um, there's these six inch vent holes, uh, top and bottom, very top up here, at the top here, and down at the bottom. So I leave those open and I put uh, ducting in there and I sort of let it hang down to the ground or something like that. Um, and so that when it's all closed up for the night, it allows air to fresh air to, to flow in. Um, and so I worry that my other lights that are on in the garage, or if I need to go in the garage and do something uh, and I need to turn the light on, or if there's sun coming in somewhere, um, that light will will get in through the the ducting that I'm using. Um, so that's the only thing. I wish there was ducting out there that had a black interior, because um, I've been thinking about maybe spray painting the interior black so there's uh, the light isn't reflecting uh, all the way down uh, the channel kind of thing. But yeah, so let me also throw up a picture of my three by three. I wonder if they do have ducting. Something tells me that that we might be able to find that. We'll have to looking on Amazon. We'll have to get um, the research team on that one for you. Yeah, and if anybody's listening out there, if you know of anybody that sells ducting, just flexible ducting um, that you use for growing, and if the interior is uh, like a, a a matte black. Um, that isn't going to reflect anything, um, that would be amazing. And if it's not out there, that's my idea, motherfuckers. <laughs> um, all they have to do is go to our website, actually, and click on the little message icon, and they can sh Are we selling it shoot a... Well... I just had the idea, and we're selling it already. That That's Amazon for you. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a picture of my uh, three by three with the Mars Hydro hanging. So, and you know, that light works very well. It's been recommended. That light specifically was recommended to me many times over the last few years, but the, the pendulum is, you know, shifting in the other direction now. Um, and I do believe Mars Hydro lost, lost a little bit of the market share over the last little while. Because people like uh, 
Vipa, Vipra Spectra, you know, uh, Agrilux. There's all kinds of these other LED manufacturers, um, Spider Farmer, and they're all producing high quality LEDs. And, you know, a lot of them don't really cost a lot compared to an HPS. So uh, it's been interesting, but the results are clear. The results are there. Um, you know, you really hit it home for me, uh, Pache, you, it was your grow that really made me be a believer 100%, you know, without a doubt, there it is. The proof is in the, in, in the pudding. Uh, and that's just, you know, straight facts basically. And uh, if you look here, this is two plants, uh, in my three by three and using the MERS, Hydro TS-1000, and look at how big and bushy, and now uh, I'm using the mainlining technique to really keep a wide and even canopy, but look at how big those babies are. I just love them. Mm -hmm. And one of them, the one closest to us, uh, she ended up, um, after drawing, uh, producing 404 grams. Wow. I loved her. Yeah. So, you know, the proof is there, uh, you know, there's a happy face. That guy is definitely happy <laughs> about what is happening there. So, yes. Woo. Uh, Thelma and Louise. <laughs> yeah. So they were so good. Too funny, you know, and I did. So we've talked about, you know, lights, uh, tents, um, soil, I guess, is going to be the very next topic of conversation. Um, now, before we move on, I do want to mention one thing about lights. Um, there's somebody that, this guy here, <clears throat> Albo Pepper uh, on YouTube. He's uh, this guy that, he has a channel. And what he does is he tests grow lights. And he tests um, their power values. Um, and when he his measurements don't line up with what their measurements are he will write to them and he's gotten them to change their advertising um nice which i think is pretty cool um to have third-party independent people out there uh reviewing this stuff because he used to be a big fan of spider farmer and um with some of the advancements on the lower end uh the scale like the um co competitors to the spider farmer 1000 um, he now has removed that from his uh, recommended lineup because there are now just superior products out there that don't have that price tag uh, that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so kudos to him for trying to keep things real, first off. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really uh, I like his channel, and he's a resource I go to. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, we're going to get into soil. Um I don't think we'll. I don't think we'll do that one um, because we're going to do uh, hydroponics as well, uh, and that's going to be its own, you know, long conversations on both of those topics. Um, so those will, I guess, come next week. What do you think, Pache? Um. Well, let's do a uh, like a, a debrief afterwards um, because I might want to push us to maybe look at pest control uh, because I, I have had a lot of uh, aphids uh, growing in the summer mm -hmm. and like a, a lot. It's been crazy, but um, this, this stuff, this diatomaceous earth um, and, and I'm really interested in the neem oil that you had mentioned uh, to me. So I, I might be looking to push the agenda a little bit uh, to my advantage there. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll take that as a fair play. Um, one other big thing, just cause you brought the topic up of things kind of like happening now, right? Uh, outdoor ha is a big topic of conversation because we are in the middle of, uh, outdoor season. Um, I'm in a lot of the, the grow room groups like in Nova Scotia particularly. And, uh, you know, there's lots of people that are in those groups that are, you know, growing theirs outdoors this year and they're posting pictures. And there's one common theme that's kind of happening. They're, the people that grew autoflowers, 
you know, the auto flowering ones, um, they had, you know, quite thick and large flowers going into July. A lot of them did and July ended up being very humid. And, um, a lot of people lost a lot of, uh, a, a lot of flowers due to bud rot. Um, it, 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 yeah, it's something that I'm seeing every single day, pop up pictures of this and pictures of that. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of bring it to everybody, everybody's attention. Cause usually this kind of stuff works to allow you to get a good crop in, right. And nice, good, solid outdoor buds from, from grown auto flowering. If you have good genetics, uh, and if you have a good idea of, of what, what you're doing, right. You, you can generally pull that one off, but, but, but July was exceptionally humid. Uh, and a lot of people suffered from, um, from bud rot this year. Uh, so I, I just wanted to kind of call that out, right. Because a lot of the trick, you know, our problem here is, as soon as September hits, um, usually we hit a hundred percent humidity and then it stays for a while. So if you just have a regular plant, you know, regular photo period plant, um, that doesn't start flowering until the first week of August, which is also happening now, right? Then that means in order to get eight to nine weeks of maturity in, um, at least, you know, that's going to take you to the end of September. And that's the problem that a lot of people in the very beginning don't realize, right? They just, they figure it out the first time, but they lose their first grow because it takes them that time to figure it out, right? Um, and that's also happening, um, you know. So what you can kind of do to avoid that is the thing, because Mother Nature is a vicious beat, is, is a vicious vicious beast she's gonna do right she's gonna do whatever she wants and that's a lesson i learned a long time ago um I throw in a dehumidifier and you bring that de- that humidity down and maybe you might throw in another little tiny fan um get the airflow going and you're usually good right uh, but what do you do outdoor right great you know that's a great point uh because you can't control mother nature right so one thing that i learned and one thing that worked for me um was to first off find genetics that were specifically marked as an early finisher um right so that basically allows them to start flowering the end of june then you get july and then you get august potentially to the end of August and you can get a good crop and right um, now it wouldn't have worked this year. I don't think with the humidity, the way it was in July. So that's another topic, but um, you know, for the most part, this would increase, increase your chance of success um, by having something that was tagged as an early finisher. And then there's another trick too, that I picked up, many moons ago uh from somebody and because people are always like oh when can i put my plants out when can i put my plants out i want to put them out in may i want to put them out the end of may right and people can do it and i've seen them do it and and i've seen their plants survive and i've seen them have huge trees right but um i got some tips from some people one time and that tip was basically to uh be patient and to don't don't put your plants out before june 21st which is the longest day of the year, right? Um, put them out on June 21st. So as soon as your plant goes outdoors, the very first experience it has with its photo period is that it's reduced. And that... It's traveling away from the sun. Right. There's no, like, days are getting longer, days are getting longer as it goes along, goes along and reaches its peak. There's a lot of sensing involved in that. But but this can trigger the plant to re- immediately go into flowering. So if you do this on, on uh, you know, June 21st, you could potentially start seeing flowers by June 28th, right? And, and then all of a sudden you're harvesting the third or the fourth week of August and you're avoiding the mold period altogether. Right. So, right. But if you're somebody that has plants outdoors, you know, um, when it rains, go out and uh, once the rain is finished, go out and shake your plants off, 
get all the ex- excess water, right? Uh, help your plants out because if, uh, if, if it's just a average, you know, uh, cloudy day, the, it won't dry. And those, those, the water that's left will start to get absorbed into the flowers. Uh, and you know, so if you can help your plants in any way, shape or form by avoiding them to get soaked and wet in the first place, then you're increasing your chances of doing this without any mold or minimal mold. Okay. So I kind of wanted to point that out. Um, I see a lot of people with greenhouses and greenhouses are great. Um, but you need to make sure that you can, you know, maintain the proper temperature in, in a greenhouse and it does work well for keeping your plants dry. So if you can do that, then a lot of the times you'll have good success and, in the same groups that I'm on, um, a lot of people that are posting successful plants right now are posting them from inside greenhouses. So, you know, that's a big part of it as well. Um, you know, and then, you know, you don't have to grow huge monster plants, right? That's the other thing. Um, in, unless you're going to continuously thin them out. Um, you know, if you don't thin the plants out, then you are going to get mold. You need to get in there all the, all the time and keep, um, you know, that those areas of the lower branches free so they can, um, you know, keep the air moving through there and that'll help you avoid it altogether. Um, so I wanted to just, if we have an outdoor crew and it is outdoor season, you know, there are some things that you can kind of, um, try and, uh, you know, if, uh, if you can keep your plants dry and, um, you know, you'll have a much better success. So a few pointers Interesting. there. Because I have been seeing a lot more of my friends, um, now that growing is legal, of course, um, people are doing it. Uh, I've never grown before it was when it was legal I, i've never grown um and so a lot of my friends are also trying it as well and uh it's pretty cool to see you know all, all these little plants sitting out on people's decks and um everybody's giving it a shot you know it's uh it's it's pretty cool yeah i see people being very very um you know unique with what their setups are. I see this one guy every day posting pictures who's in a, um, he's in one of those cold frames they're called, you know, they're, they're the little hoop greenhouses that you see. Uh, and, and he uses light deprivation technique, right? So, So every day at the same time, he goes out and covers his hoop, his hoop garden with heavy tarps that block the remaining sunlight in the day. And then every morning he goes out and takes them off at a certain time and he controlled exactly when they went into flowering. So, and he's having some great success, but people, you know, will think in unique ways. This guy obviously, you know, had some issues with mold before and he said, no, this year I'm doing it right. And that's where his path led him. Um, but I love following uh, people along. I don't really post on them. Um, you know, lots of people having problems, lots of people just like the topic, you know, to kind of roll into that, what you're talking about, you know, with aphids kind of, you know, it looks like we have a minute here to kind of touch base a a little bit. So, um, you've got aphids already, Pache? Uh, I did. Um, I, I had a lot of them. I, I even took the time this time to sort of prepare my soil. I I had it in its own Rubbermaid bin um, sitting for weeks. Uh, so it was going to just, the, the theory was it would just stay dry, stay away from any moisture. Uh, I just left it in the furnace room where it would be the warmest, uh, not the furnace is on, but, um, and it was also just dark. And the idea was, you know, if there were any aphids in the soil, um, when I bought it, hopefully it would, they would die off. And anyway, uh, I don't think that strategy worked um, or something else happened because I end up with a ton, a shit ton of aphids. And I've got luckily lots of pest strips and I had them all around and they're sort of laid out all around um, my pots. And I have a couple hanging uh, close to the light and they were filling up. Um, you know, I was really surprised at the volume and I was starting to think, okay, this is getting beyond uh, pest strip sticky traps. Um, 
but my diatomaceous earth arrived and I knew that that was something I wanted to sort of try out. Uh, I have seen it in different YouTube videos and people swear by it. So I spread it all around. Um, after I did my transplanting, I spread it all around and, and gave a good layer. Um, and two days later, the next day, I still noticed there was a lot flying around, um, but there wasn't really any more on the sticky traps because I had changed them out. <clears throat> and today when I went in, I was shocked. There was only maybe half a dozen uh, on one sticky trap and maybe three or four on another. And that's, you know, maybe one or two more on strips close to the plant, but that's it. So I'm not really sure if they all just took off when they saw me coming or they're gone, but I'm not seeing as much evidence. So I'm anxious to keep a close eye over the next couple of days, but so far so good. And um, maybe I can hold off on the neem oil, uh, but I'm, I think I'm going to order some just to have it, you know, as a tool in the toolbox. Yeah. Uh, aphids right there. Um, you know, they, they can, you know, really do some, some damage. Yeah. The, the trick with them is to, is, is to try to catch it as soon as possible. Um, and these are the types of things that'll happen if you're not in tune with your plants and checking them all the time. Right. And that really coincides with what you were talking about Pache with regards to observing the plants. Um, you know, and a lot of the time it's, people don't pick up on anything. They're standing above their plants and they're taking a picture, but they're not actually looking underneath the surface of the leaf. So they don't see uh, any damage until it kind of gets too late. Right. Um, and, and, and that happens quite frequently. <laughs> um, and you can take your phone nowadays and uh, just put it on video, flip the phone around and, and swipe the phone underneath the leaves and you can get a, an idea of what's going on without having to crouch down and crick your neck and see what the hell's going on, if that light's bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so there are ways now to make it a lot easier to, to check. And also what I, I recommend is, and I don't really know if it matters so much in veg stage, but <clears throat> I get down there and I breathe on my plants and the carbon dioxide. <clears throat> I know it's very helpful in the flowering stage. I'm just not exactly sure how helpful it is in the, in the veg stage, but I do it nonetheless. Yeah. Um, you know, if I was somebody growing in my back, in my backyard and I, and I had aphids, you know, I would basically, uh, get get a lot of them off with with a spray of water you know like a, a hard spray of water that that'd be the easiest thing to do i think in the beginning if you had a huge infestation to start and it was outdoors or if you had the ability to take your plants outdoors um in order to do that because wow they're hard right to, to it's just they have different stages the on the eggs, only certain things work, and on the the actual aphid, only certain things work, and they reproduce so quickly that by the time you really realize it's there, it's really kind of hard to, uh, you know, get in front of it. So yeah, we'll we'll bring this up as a as an in depth, you know, conversation because I tried some concoctions, you know, that kind of worked. Um, well. basically, and then letting it dry. I think what we found out was it didn't matter what we did. If it was like um, chili pepper, we used some chili pepper and some spray. And but, but the key to it was we needed to put dish soap, a couple of drops of dish soap in each um, in each spray, and that's that was like the missing missing piece to it. Um, you know, once we had added the dish soap, then whatever we had else that was in the water seemed to work. So, well, so it cleans ducks and plants. Yeah, I guess that's a fair, that's a fair, fair assessment. So, and dishes. Well, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that should be going warmer. <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. So, okay. So next week we'll get into pests and we'll get into soil and, uh, and, and hydro. I guess those will be the topics of, conversation um what about uh, rabbit holes this week Pache? 
Um, so this week, what I uh, my favorite rabbit hole is there is a uh, a young fella on YouTube, and he is amazing at speaking languages. He just has the ability to hear something, remember it, and remember what it means. And so he goes around and he will go to um, you know some Chinese city. Uh, and he will have studied their dialect and he will go out, go and he'll start speaking English. And he's just this, you know, this white guy, young white guy. And, uh, and then he'll break into their local dialect and language. And they are just amazed. Like they're just shocked that somebody took the time to learn their language. And, uh, and, and he's really good. Like he has the ability to get, the accents down and and like this kid is he's got some talent and i think you're going to see a lot more of him but what really gets me and what really um keeps me coming back to his channel is um the appreciation that people show this guy when he speaks in their language and and he'll just say he'll you know hey how you doing uh, so how much is this you know and then he'll say you know is this fresh in their language and then they will answer him and then they'll be like, wait a minute, where did you learn to speak Cantonese or Mandarin or whatever? Um, and uh, there's some pretty localized things that he knows. And uh, I, he's up to like, I don't know, maybe two or three dozen languages right now, at, at least. Nice. And, and he does it in just weeks. It's absolutely insane. So uh, I'll, when we put, post this up on YouTube, I'll uh, I'll include a, a link to his uh, to his channel and it's really fun. Uh, if you're just looking to spend a little bit of time um, seeing humanity appreciate humanity, uh, I highly recommend his channel. It's well worth it. Awesome. Well, that's perfect. So thank you very much for that. And next week, I'll be curious to uh, see what you're up to there as well. Um, any last minute thoughts? Um, to my four little purple cushions uh, sitting under the MERS hydro right now, grow babies. Mm. Daddy's watching and hoping for good vibes. Come on, grow, grow, grow. <laughs> and I second that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hope nothing but the best for your plants too, uh, Ray. Well, thank you. And for I hope they get over their mildew uh, issue. And for anybody that may be listening, uh, I extend that to you as well. So may all your plants be healthy. Yep. So once again, my name is Ray. And I'm Pache. And join us every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.